We're continuing in a sermon series about why. Why did God save us? What were his purposes? What was his intent? To forgive us? Yes. We've talked about that. To, to give to us heaven forever? Yes. That's where we started in 1 Timothy. Last week, though, we talked about what God wanted to save us from, from, the, from, from things like the course of this world or the devil or, or an ungodly thought life or our fleshly lusts. God wants to save us. Christ came to take us from those things that we don't have to go back to those things. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what did he save us for? What are we to be about because of that great salvation we have in Christ? Uh, But today, we want to look to Paul once again, Ephesians 2, and not miss his benefits, not to forget, as scripture would say, his benefits of, of what he desires, what really is at the heart of salvation. We're right when, we, when pastors, revival preachers will say, and kind of put salvation in legal categories, judicial categories, debt categories, that we need a savior to save us from our sins, to pay for our debts, to ransom us, to deliver us, yes. But at the heart of that is you. He loves you, and he died for you, and he wants a life with you. And you're going to find that. We're not just going to Ephesians 2, but what we're doing over these weeks is going throughout all of what Paul is saying. And here he's saying, not just to people, you who are on the outs can be in together in the household of God. You who are wildly separated can now be adopted in, grafted in. But he's talking about as well. That reconciling work of God that he wants to, we who were far away, draw us near to himself. It's, it's page one stuff in the Bible. Uh, but sadly, on page three of the Bible, that gets broken and we fall and we get separated. So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I realize it's 101 basic stuff, but sometimes I just need to cover basic 101 stuff to make sure we've all heard it. Because there's been days when I've, I've not been faithful that we've all heard it. It was in this room a couple of years ago. We had a family from out of town who had asked if they could do a memorial service for someone. And we said, you can do that. And I'd be glad to help you with that. And I did. They were a veteran. And so we wanted to rightly celebrate them. Typically, we don't have uh, the flag ceremony in the sanctuary. We do a graveside. For some reason, they weren't. And we said, that'd be fine to do the the flag uh, ceremony with the family to rightly honor his service to our country at the end of the service. Well, two minutes before the service, the people who were coming to do that, the military personnel, said, we got to go. We can't stay to the end of the service. We're going to have to do it right now. I said, we don't do that in here right now. We do it at the end. No, I need to do it right now. They had guns. I didn't. They win. So (laughs) I said, okay, we can do that. We're also going to play taps. I said, we don't do that in here. We're going to do that in here. I said, okay. So they went out and played taps. We're also going to have a gun salute. And my first thought was, have you called Madison police? (laughs) Make sure they know. I mean, we were already past time, so we set all that up. Unfortunately, Rusty, I don't think we got that word to you in the crow's nest. (laughs) Bang! (laughs) Bang! (laughs) So Rusty, as I'm sitting here watching him scramble, we didn't get the word to our office workers. And so they're over in the office. Bang! (laughs) Bang! (laughs) So I want to make sure to cover this, even though we should all know, 
I want to make sure to cover this so we're all in the know this morning. It won't be a surprise as that gunfire was to many people uh, on our campus that day. What's the problem? Verse 12. Let's look at the problem and we'll look at the solution. Then Then we're going to look to the heart of it. The problem, as we all know, is sin, and sin causes separation. Uh, We are covered in sin. We're under the judgment of God, as we said last week, trapped by this world, trapped by our flesh, but because of Jesus Christ, we can be free. But from Genesis 3 and on, we are separated. It's interesting, when you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the fall of man and you get to verse 22, even there, I mean, the immediate consequences our separation. He casts them out of the Garden of Eden, that they can't be there. And Genesis 3, 2 says, let's get them out, lest they take and eat of the tree of life and live forever. I want you to go back to that verse sometimes, because there's actually a dash. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't understand it, but I actually heard someone say one time, could it be that this is the only unfinished sentence in the Bible? That God, even in that moment, is saying, get out, Sin has cast you out, but there's no period because I've I've already got a plan. Since the foundation of the world, I've been planning to send my son Jesus to draw you back. But sin causes separation, and we see that that here. And it reminds us again, as horrific as sin is, the what we do, as horrific as that is, What's on the heart of God? And I've shared this once with you before, but if you go to chapter 3, verse 9, or chapter 4, verse 9, in Genesis, we're reminded again, what's the first question God asks when there's sin? It's not, what did you do? Right? I hear a sound sound in my house, something crashes. My first thought is, what did you do? What got broken? It's not the first question in Scripture. What's the first question here when sin enters the world? Where'd you go? Where are you, Adam? Adam? Where is your, where's your brother, Cain? The concern is always distant. He's going to deal with what's been done in his son Jesus Christ for us. But the question, the concern always is distance, relationship. He died for the sin, yes, but he died for us in a relationship with us. Paul, throughout his epistles, takes up that theme, and especially in Romans 6.23, that it's a great, I've talked to you before, it's a great one-verse evangelism. We used to use this at Twin Lakes when I was a camp counselor there. But just one side of, if you're doing just a diagram, two cliffs on one side, wages, sin, death. And then way over here on another cliff is gift, God, life. And that we're on one side, and because of what we've earned, of, because of our sin, there's death. Now, did Adam and Eve die the minute that they sinned? No, they're under the penalty of death and would die now. Death entered the world, but they were separated. That's what death means. When we die, our souls don't die, but we're separated from our bodies. Death equals separation. The wages of sin for rebellion against God is death, and we're separated from this cliff to this, and there's, there's no way to get over but the free gift of God in Jesus Christ is life. And and because of Jesus Christ, we can have a reconciled relationship, separated. These Gentiles, look, they didn't need any help from Paul that they're on the outs. There was a sign. When you went into Jerusalem, you went in close to the temple area, there were signs put up. My ESV study Bible reminded me, I'd forgotten about it, but it reminded me this week of that sign that basically said this, if you're a Gentile and you walk near the inner court, you even take one step in there, 
your blood is on your hands. Your blood is on your hands for what our God will do to you. If you come in, you are on the outs. I was going through John Stott's uh, commentary again this week on, on, uh, 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 on Ephesians, and he quoted a Bible scholar who said, basically, these Gentiles knew they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. What does scripture say here? Aliens, strangers, excluded, far away, Gentiles having no rights or privileges at all in the faith community, separated that's the problem for them, but because of us and because of sin for us. But the solution, verse 13, as Corey wonderfully prayed this morning, by the blood we can be brought near. He not only comes to make, and you see that word peace come up a lot here, he not only comes to make peace with one another, that we can all be of the family of God and the household of God because of what Jesus has done for us, but we can have peace with God. It's one of the great gifts and blessings of God. Anybody struggling with peace today? You go through the book of Romans, chapter 3, 17, 5, 1. It just, he keeps talking about the peace of God we can have. Chapter 15, 33, and 16, 20, he actually says this is who God is. He is the God of peace. Now, this church in Rome is about to go through it with persecution. This church in Rome is about to struggle, and yet Paul can say to them that God is the God of peace. Let me read you actually how 1620 plays out. It's not just the God of peace. Here's what it says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Trouble? Sure. Spiritual warfare? Yes. Heartbreak, grief, whatever we are going through, he is the God of peace. Here in chapter 2, verse 14 of Ephesians, he is our peace. Jesus never promised, never predicted that there would not be troubles. Matter of fact, Paul, when you go back to Romans chapter 8, that, that chapter we'll read tomorrow for Kara's funeral, reminded again, there are sufferings in this world. He does not deny that. But without blushing or having to cross his fingers behind his back, Paul can say of God, he is our peace. No matter the struggle, no matter the circumstance. It's a great testimony of this last year, watching my father-in-law with a terminal lung illness and just the struggle physically that he had with that, the anxiety of every day, is this going to be the day I can't catch my breath? And to watch him struggle with so many issues physically through that, that was a real struggle, but it was nothing compared to the real peace that he had as he held on to Jesus. The peace was stronger than the struggle. And that's what the Lord wants for us to have. Forgiveness, yes. Heaven someday, yes. Freedom from temptations, yes. But the God of peace, he is our peace. He has done that reconciling work on his cross through his blood that you and I can be at peace. No longer hostile with one another, no longer hostile in mind toward God, but real peace if we'll trust him and seek him for that. But this is what he offers then. What's the heart of it? The heart of it is a right and growing and dynamic relationship with him. And that's the 101 I don't want us to miss. Some of us, anybody else been there? We are so busy trying to serve God in your family or through your work or trying to please him with your life that maybe you miss him. 
1 Samuel 16 talks about that in Saul's life, that he's very aware that there is a spirit, an evil spirit that's tormenting him, but nowhere in that chapter does it say, does it say that, that Saul recognized that the spirit had left him. And it had. The, the scripture's clear, but Paul's worried about that tempting spirit, needs David to come and help soothe that. But it, no, nowhere does it say he just missed missing God. It's the same thing when you go to Judges uh, and Samson. He gets up. I'll, I'll just read that scripture to you. Judges 16. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as here before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Uh, maybe we can be there, just busy for the Lord. Or maybe we have a low spiritual self-esteem and we think that the Lord doesn't want that kind of intimacy with me. That's, that's reserved for the great saints of the faith. But it's a page three thing. It's on the first pages of Scripture. We go back to the Adam and Eve story, and it says the Lord would walk in the cool of the day. Many, many scholars think that's actually pre-incarnate Christ, just showing you already. This is what I want for you, a life with not just a place like heaven, not just to cover your sins, but I want a life of relationship with you. And we don't want to let the busyness of our schedule, we don't want to let any... Inadequacy we feel with God, any shame we feel with God, keep us from what he has saved us for from the beginning. It's you. I, uh, in my last church for a confirmation class, uh, one of the things we'd do is we'd have them go do a service project for one of our shut-ins and then go listen to their story. Sometimes we'd split it up. If it's a small project, we'd send four or five uh, of the confirmands to this house, three or four. Well, I called Miss Nell Ligon and I said, Nell, uh, would you like the confirmands to come over? Do you have any service for anything they need to come do? I got a class of about 20. She says, I'm going to need all of them for the things that I have for you to do. And I said, well, that's great. We're going to come over this day. We'll come over and help whatever you have, whatever needs you have in the house or in the yard. We'll do that for about a half hour. Then we'll visit for you. We want to hear about your faith for about a half hour. Hear your story, your testimony. Great. So we went over that day, and we all went inside and said, okay, now we're first going to do the project. What can we do for you? I need a, a, a bulb put in one of my lamps. Yeah, an outdoor flood lamp you couldn't reach? No. A ceiling lamp? No. This lamp where I read right here, and there was the bulb sitting on the desk. I need you to put that bulb in my... That woman lied. <laughs> Why did she lie? bring me those babies. I want to see those kiddos. Get them all. So we literally, I think she probably unscrewed the bulb, put it on. Hey, I need, you're going to have to help me here because I can't wait to see these kiddos. And uh, we got to push through uh, whatever's keeping us from that, whatever feelings, whatever struggle, whatever hurt, because from page one all the way through what Paul says in his epistles, you even see that phrase here. I can't remember the verse. In Christ. I actually put that at the end of all my letters. In Christ. Not sincerely or best regards. I've got to be in him. And that's what he's won us for. That's what he's reconciled us for. He's brought us near over and over again. More than any other, any other author. Jesus, uh, Paul uses that phrase. In Christ. You can be in him. There's, there is no faith outside of relationship with him. I, John Wesley, our forefather, warned us about that, about the importance of each other. 
He said, holy solitaires, and I love how he says this, holy, and it's kind of a rough phrase, holy solitaires is a phrase no more consistent with the gospel than holy adulterers. The gospel of Christ knows no religion but social. And when he's begging his, his, his disciples to see, John Wesley's saying, the Methodists have got to stay together. They've got to stay connected in worship and in, in classes and in bands, or you're just not going to have the vibrancy you ought to have. But all that's to drive us to a right relationship with God that he's calling us to, to abide in the vine, to walk with God in the cool of the day. And sadly, we can find ourselves sometimes just white-knuckling it, pressing through in our own strength, gutting it out, and we'll either burn out or we'll get bitter or we'll try to suck the life out of people to be that for us. We'll grow tired or we'll just settle for a life that God's not offering to us. He doesn't want us walking apart from him. He wants us with him. I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about the, how, how powerful Rembrandt's painting, uh, the portrait of the prodigal son, the return of the prodigal son was. And it's just to go back and look at that, this beautiful picture of this son who's returned He's just burying his face into the belly of his father. He can't even see his arms. They're wrapping around the father. And I love what the Greek says in Luke 15. It, it not only the, the word kiss, that he kissed him, it's just a wet kiss. The father kisses him all over. But the Greek is he threw his arms. And you see it in the painting. He just threw his arms over the boy and embraced him. And that's what we do. When we come home, we are embraced by the father. But, and we, we receive that forgiveness, that reconciliation. But don't get up from that. I wish I, had a, I could commission another painting where it shows him the next day working in the fields but working with one arm and the other arm's just holding on. That I can't do this life. I can't parent if I'm not in you, if I'm not holding on to Jesus. I can't be the husband I ought to be. I can't be the friend I ought to be. I can't be the worker I ought to be. I can't serve in the church I ought to serve unless I am just holding on to him uh, for dear life. Don't, don't let busyness or shame keep you from what Paul says here is what we have, and that is a life in Christ. Back into the household of God. That slave in Luke, I mean, that boy in Luke 15 put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. A slave or servant couldn't wear sandals. Put a robe on him. He's back into the family. Paul's saying here in Ephesians 2, we are back into the family of God and hold on to him for dear life. Most of us in this room have something going on. A hurt for a kid or a friend, a physical issue, mental health issue, struggling with temptation, stuff at work, whatever it might be. I'm reminded here in Paul, we're in Christ, and we need to just hold on to him if we're, it's the gift of what we have, but if we're going to be what he's going to call us later to be, it's got to be holding on to him. I love this uh, close with this uh, lyric from Bill Maloney, one of my favorite Christian songwriters. Uh, he has a song called Numb, and he talks about the realities of struggles of life, of feeling empty from time to time. And this is the closing verse chorus. They say it's a cruel world, some cite it as a sad fact. And they say that God must not care that much, and God says, well, I don't know about that. I keep hearing his whispers, saying everything's going to be all right. So I take my stand, and I hold on to God for dear life.
That's the call. You see it in Romans. You've been adopted as sons. You can cry, Abba, Father. Galatians, you've been adopted as sons. You can cry, Abba, Father. Here in Ephesians 1, you've been adopted by sons. Colossians, Titus, on and on, on and on. Paul trying to remind the church, you were far away. But my sons come, not just so you can be covered, not so you can just have heaven someday. I know it's a one-on-one thing, but don't miss Don't miss a relationship with him. Don't miss your quiet time. Don't miss your prayer time. Don't miss worship time. But don't don't miss that he wants you to hold on to him all day long. If you've you've been far away from God because of sin, I pray he'd come home today. He'll receive you and he'll throw his arms around you. But if you're doing just fine on your own, pushing hard, you're doing the right things, I pray you'd repent of that as well. And you've come home and allow him to walk with you. Um, that's what the Lord has given himself for, that we can hold on to him for dear life. It's song, it's song number 340, I Need Thee Every Hour. Uh, let's make that claim to the Lord today. Let's make that claim as we stand, as we sing, and as we respond. <laughs>